If you're a leader or an aspiring leader in the business of lifelong learning, you're in the right place. I'm Salisa Steele. And I'm Jeff Cobb. And this is the Leading Learning Podcast. Welcome to episode 247 of the Leading Learning Podcast, in which we talk with Nissan Fontaine, Executive Director at Design Arts Seminars. This conversation is the latest installment in our series of interviews with CEOs and organizational leaders. Salisa, what do you and Nissan talk about? Well, we talk about what has and hasn't changed in the decades he's been at Design Arts Seminars. We talk about learning experience design and how he came to LXD through a professional midlife crisis. We talk about the origin and purpose of their Change by Design initiative, which aligns their educational offerings to match with the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals, which is a really cool project. And we touch on the major opportunities and threats for design arts seminars and learning businesses in general and why he sees the influx of, of competitors not only as a threat, but also as an opportunity to get clearer about what you do and whom you do it for. We also talk about what it takes to lead learning, and he mentions asking better questions and being a better listener among the skills and knowledge leaders need. Misen is just really generous and, and genuinely excited by and about learning, and I think his generosity and excitement comes across in our conversation. Well, I love it that it took a professional midlife crisis to bring him to learning experience design. Misen's always delightful to talk to. What what reflection questions do you have to offer for this episode? At a couple points in our conversation, the idea of moving from transaction to transformation comes up. So here's the, the questions for you listeners. Where do you want your learning business to be on that transactional to transformational continuum? And what actions can you take to make sure your portfolio of offerings matches with where you want to be? Excellent. I'm sure this is going to be a transformational conversation. Let's move on to our interview with Misen Fontaine. Hello and welcome to the Leading Learning Podcast. I'm Salisa Steele and today I'm joined by Misen Fontaine. Misen is the Executive Director at Design Arts Seminars, an accredited provider of continuing education for design professionals since 1992. Misen, welcome to the Leading Learning Podcast. Thank you. I'm, I'm glad to be on. So to kick things off, would you share a bit about Design Arts Seminars, who you are, what you do, and, and your role there? So as you mentioned, we've been a provider of continuing education for licensed interior designers and architects. We are, we are approved by several organizations, such as the, the American Institute of Architects, the International Design Continuing Education Council. Uh, we opened in 1992, uh, and at the time when we served uh, the needs of interior designers. I came on board in uh, 98. I'm originally uh, from France, but moved to the U.S. in 98, actually, as an intern. And uh, I've been on board with Design Arts uh, ever since. So we offer several types of uh, programs. We do live, online, 
uh, webinars, on-demand webinars, of course, in-person events, uh, text-based distance learning, and also study tools. And the study tools is actually why I first was hired as an intern, uh, because we did program in uh, Europe quite a bit uh, back then. Uh, so that was my entry point in uh, design art seminars, and I've then moved up a little bit and uh, a couple of years ago uh, purchased uh, the company. So that's where we are. So from what you shared, I mean, it's very clear that, that learning is, is at the core of Design Arts Seminars. It was founded for that purpose. Um, so I'm curious, though, you know, you've, you've been involved with it a long time. It's been around a long time. So, you know, what's changed and what hasn't uh, in terms of what it means to provide continuing education to those professionals that you serve in that 30-year stretch or almost 30 years that, that DAS has been around, or, or at least maybe the, the 20 years that you've been part of it and been a little closer to what's happening? Uh, absolutely. So, yeah, we, we started when continuing education became a thing for licensed or regulated professions. So that's that was the inception point for the company. Um, and that, to be clear, is for people who practice regulated profession, they have to earn X number of credits to remain licensed. So these are professionals who are required by law to uh, earn those credits, which is not exactly at the top of their, of their to-do list. <laughs> so what has changed and what has not, I think what has um, not not much has changed, really. Uh, sadly, I think I, I, I want to say the industry is pretty much the same. It's it's evolved very slowly. But what has not changed is that it's still this uh, seat time type approach to quote unquote learning. It's it's very much driven by um, vendors or product manufacturers, at least in our industry. And I know it's the same in other industries where a lot of the offerings are sponsored. Uh, now, that's not our case, but uh, sponsored by product manufacturers. So it's basically um, a lot of marketing on the, on the cover of education. So those things um, have not uh, changed. Um, now, what has changed is, of course, between 1992 or even 98, 99, when I came on board to 2020, uh, what has changed is there is many more providers. We have now uh, much lower barriers uh, to entry into becoming a provider of uh, online learning or even person learning or any type of learning. So that has changed. There are a lot more uh, variety of providers out there. Something else that potentially has changed is it's become even more commoditized, at least for us, for the continuing education unit or the continuing education credit or professional development, whatever you call it in your industry. Uh, it's it's increasingly commoditized. So what we see is uh, providers competing uh, on price rather than anything else, which is not what we do, but that's that's become pretty much um, the norm. Now, in terms of what it means and, and something else that has changed, I think, at least for us uh, in my 20 years, has been the, the, the fluidity we've had to... Um, to uh, implement across delivery modes. What I mean by that is uh, back when I started in 98, essentially we had mostly in-person uh, events. And now we have in-person, online, live, on-demand, study tools, distance learning. And we've had to make sure that we provided our learners with the ability to switch from one delivery mode to the other as seamlessly as we can across the same type of content so that they could have the flexibility that they uh, that they need as, as adult uh, learners. Um, something else, and that's the last point in, in terms of what it 
what has changed and what it means to be in that continuing education business is is a shift for us, a very intentional shift from a very transactional approach to uh, continuing education to a transformational approach to that entire industry, which is not the norm. Once again, the, the relationship uh, a lot of times uh, is I need X number of credits. I'm going to go buy those credits. It's not oftentimes driven by a need or want to learn anything in particular. So that is what I've seen, you know, change and uh, shift. Uh, and that last one is the most uh, exciting to me. Well, and that last one, that that shift from the transactional to the the transformational, I, I think may tie in with uh, an, an area that I know you're interested in, which is learning experience design. Um, and I know that you're interested in that because you, in fact, presented about it at Learning Technology Design 2020. Um, and, and so I'm just interested to know kind of what brought LXD to your attention and then what have you been doing with LXD at Design Arts Seminars? All right. So, yeah, LXD, so the <laughs> LXD stems for me from essentially a uh, professional midlife crisis, <laughs> <laughs> essentially. But uh, the more I thought about it, um, the more actually stems back from when I was a, uh, a, a not a teenager, but a, a young adult um, working while I was still in school. I was working at the house of Van Gogh in one hour north of Paris. And um, if you're not familiar with it, it, that's not his house. He just rented a room there. And my uh, job as a, as a guide was to teach people what they needed to know about that particular place and what he did in Oversio was and in his 90 days spent in that particular house. And I remember being told... Uh, over and over, there is nothing to see here. There is everything to feel. And, and that's very true. There is nothing in that house. It's a bare staircase, an empty room. There is literally nothing there to see. So it was all experiential. Um, and that's what I had to convey with words. So that was my first encounter with, I guess, that that with what it means to me uh, to be in that learning experience design uh, sphere. Then later on, I worked at the Louvre Museum in, in Paris. And the same thing there, it, I was surprised to be hired uh, as, as a business uh, major um, over art majors. And once again, I was doing the same thing. Well, no, we're having an issue with our art majors, uh, students coming in and not delivering the, the proper experience for our clients. Uh, and in this case, at the Louvre Museum, there would be tourists who would then leave Paris with the wrong impression of France, or maybe the right impression, I don't know. But <laughs> they, would, they, would, they would not live with the desired, the, 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 the desired perception of what France is and what France is all about. Um, so... Fast forward to uh, my mid-40s, a couple of years ago, I started working with an executive coach because I started realizing I had, over the years, accumulated a long list of certificates of um, formal, informal learning uh, experiences and I didn't know what it meant. Like, I'm, I'm all over the place. What am I any good at? What's the common thread through all of this? So I worked with uh, my executive coach, Nancy Shiel is, is her name. And um, 
we eventually got to the point where all those things have a name. So it was kind of like, you know, you, you suffer from something, you go to the doctor, you don't know what it is. And eventually they tell you, you've got this and you're dying to know what it is. It needs to have a name so that you can actually do something about it. And that was a similar experience. We finally realized that all those things have been gravitating towards whether it was user experience, user interface, whether it was this very strong emphasis on how people feel uh, when they go to a place, whether it's a virtual uh, place, a digital place, an email or something we write or, or, or an in-person event, all of the, those things, the common thread was uh, that learning experience design, which encompasses all of those, those disciplines. And it's something that we at Design Arts had been doing all along. I think because it was so ingrained in me and ingrained in our founder, Manuel uh, Pons, was very big on the experience and, uh, and how we should um, show up uh, in every aspect of what we do, that it felt like a natural fit. So I never thought of it as a discipline. And I think a few weeks ago, I heard um, a recording of an episode of the Leading Learning Podcast with, with Jeff talking to another guest. And, and I believe Jeff said something along the lines of, of learning experience design is something we should have done all along. And, and I agree with that. It's not, not a new thing. It's not that it's particularly revolutionary, but it's something I don't see done well very often. So to us at Design Art, it has become a differentiator and it has become something that now I have a name for and I can communicate with on people I work with uh, and, and make sure it's part of, of everything uh, we do. Well, I love that idea of uh, learning experience design as a diagnosis. You've been diagnosed. <laughs> <laughs> yes, and I, I was so glad when that came up. I was like, finally, it's got a name. It's like I, I thought I was addicted to taking courses on random stuff and then turns out no mm. no there is a thread i am not entirely insane so <laughs> that was that was good yeah well and i don't know if this came out of some of um your your more active engagement with, with lxd once you had your diagnosis or if it came from somewhere else but i know that you're engaged in an effort to align das's offerings to match the united nations sustainable development goals will you talk a little bit about that effort and, and you know how it came to be and, and what it is uh what you're doing with it so this came so i'm very frustration driven i guess i'm realizing as i'm talking to you uh, this came from another frustration i, I realized the industry i'm in uh, is very much transactional a lot of our um competitors really compete based on price and volume I'm going to sell you X number of credits, the more the merrier, for the lowest amount possible. And um, I, I don't find that very inspiring. Um, for one thing, we pay our subject matter expert, the practitioners that we work with, we pay our staff, all of those fun things. And I, I don't mean to imply they don't, but we invest a lot of money in developing learning experiences that actually are meaningful for our learners. Uh, so the frustration with this was, again, that shift from a, a, a transactional uh, offering to a transformational offering. And the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals, for those who, who may not be familiar with them, are 17 uh, basically big ticket items on which we need to move uh forward on to reach um, goals that will allow for um, this environmental crisis to be averted or, or lessened um, uh, by 2030 is the current goal. So there are 17 discrete 
uh, goals. And we've decided to rearrange our entire curriculum so that uh, the interior designers, the architects, the landscape architects that we work with, those are people that uh, people who design the world in which we work, we live, we love, we we, we play, uh, uh, and we die. So those are people that affect every aspect of our lives, and it's also an industry that is uh, in 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 large part responsible for a lot of the uh, carbon emissions and all of that uh, negative stuff we see um, exacerbating this environmental crisis we're in. So we were in this bit of a conundrum uh, and we wanted to realign uh, things in a more positive manner and give them very specific things they can do around each of those 17 goals to uh, actually affect change, to be catalysts uh, of change, to be change makers, to be change ambassadors, uh, to have better conversations, because we realized there was a lot of uh, misinformation uh, and not very productive conversations happening out there, and a lot of um, a lot of um, reluctance for some of them to engage on those topics. So we decided to create a change by design series, uh, which essentially is an ongoing series that tackles each and every one of those uh, sustainable development goals. Um, And the proposition, once again, it's let's forget about the transactional value of the CEU credits. You will still get those. But what matters most is actually the learning, what you can do with this, how you can shift uh, the narrative that you can make things better. So that was uh, more aligned with that transactional to transformational uh, shift we've been involved with. Well, that's really fascinating that um, to me to, to try and align your entire curriculum with them with kind of this this broader goal um, and this this goal for for good sort of underpinning it all. I, I mean, talk a little bit more if you could about sort of the the origin of it, sort of what prompted you to, to see the connection and to try to draw that out? So the, the connection between the, you know, the sustainable development goals and what we do in our learners, is that what you're asking about? Yes. Mm-hmm. So there is a part B to that. Part B was, so part A is impact, right? You guys talk a lot about impact uh, for learning businesses. And that was how do we I'm not interested personally, um, and because I am the owner of the firm, I guess I can speak on behalf of the entire company. Uh, we're not interested in selling massive amount of credits for the sake of selling massive amount of credits, of continuing education credits. I, I, that's not a driver for me. Uh, but seeing change happen in the world and making the world a better place so that the next generations can actually uh, thrive uh, in it. Um, that's that's exciting to me. Um, so that was part A, the impact we have. Part B was um, not branding per se, but it was reaching the right audience. So we did a lot of work a couple of years ago where we, we went back to who is it we're trying to actually, whose needs do we serve? Who are we here to support? And we realized that until a couple of years ago, uh, essentially anyone who was a licensed interior designer or architect, we felt was part of someone we could help. Uh, And that was really um, oversimplification and it was wrong uh, in that that's not exactly what our topics indicated. We realized when we looked at the list of offerings, which was very varied, uh, there was a common theme. Our themes were bigger ticket items. They were um, bigger ticket items in that they 
talked about the bigger pictures. They talked about um, connecting the dots. They, they were more around creating insights. So let me give you an example. A lot of all those very transactional CEUs offered by the product manufacturers solve very technical problems. So you might go to a class and all of a sudden you hear everything you never wanted to know about waterproofing. And once you've heard all of that, all of a sudden you realize you have a waterproofing problem. And guess what? The class is sponsored by a waterproofing <laughs> company. So those are very, yes, you could have that problem. Certainly it's, it's a thing. It's, 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 it's not, um, it, there is value in that, but that's, never been what we do. A lot of the classes we do address larger topics, larger societal issues, and then we were trying to find a thread that would create an overlap between aligning our curriculum and really waving a flag that when interior designers and architects who are interested in being change makers, who are interested in being change ambassadors, could say, yes, those, those are my people, this is my, my tribe, this is who I belong uh, with, not the, 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 the free transactional waterproofing membrane CEU thing, which mm. nothing wrong with. But for us, it was, a, it was a call out, a call to action, and really a flag we could wave to say, if that's the path you're on as a, as a designer, as an architect, you want to make a world a better place, and you're interested in connecting dots, societal dots, rather than collecting uh, CEUs, then we're your people. If you want the other one, that's great, no judgment, but we're probably not the best fit for you. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you for that elaboration. I think that's, that's very helpful. And I think it leads into this next question that I wanted to ask you. Um, and I think you've already begun to get at it, but I, I will go ahead and ask it directly, which is just what do you see as the major opportunities and threats for design arts, um, you know, for you specifically, but maybe also for learning businesses in, in general? Well, I, uh, one of the threats might be what I mentioned earlier, the proliferation of of providers but that's only a threat if you don't know what path you're on and you can't wave that flag right i mean it's a threat in that there are more competition but i i actually see that as 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 an opportunity for everyone to be forced to do better to be forced to be clear on who it is they cater to and who it is they don't cater to uh it's also an opportunity to um to to be more innovative, to pay attention to learning experience design, to make sure that your learner is actually uh, at the center of those decisions uh, that you make. So, to me, that's that's both a threat uh, and and an opportunity. Uh, and of course, there are other opportunities at this particular point. Uh, we are all realizing, uh, and I certainly have realized that um, initial formal education is just not. It's just not sufficient. I mean, I think uh, you, Celisa, uh, and, and Jeff, uh, you refer to it as the 50-year, is that the 50-year curriculum? Or, yeah, or and, it keeps, and it keeps <laughs> getting know, longer, right, yeah, as we right, live 50, longer. 60, you know, since going to be 70. And I find, that, I find that exciting because I think we need to shift that mindset. And I, I, I think a lot of what we do at Design Arts is trying to shift the mindset of our subject matter experts, of our practitioners, of our learners, of ourselves, and realizing we need to be offering the right 
um, programs at the right time to solve the right problem and help them move on to the next step in their professional lives. And that's an entirely different mindset uh, from what uh, I'm used to. I mean, when I grew up, I was told you go to school, you get your degrees, and then that's it, you're done. <laughs> you're all set. And that's just not true. So I think the opportunity is here, is in the fact that it's not true and everybody's having to retool um, upscale uh, or just shift uh, fields entirely, and I think it's 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 a great opportunity for both the learners, for the uh, learning businesses, and, and for society uh, at large. I like that idea that uh, with more competition, which could be a threat or, or a problem, there is this opportunity to help you, uh, encourage you, maybe even force you to to get really clear on who it is you serve, how you serve them, and and really be much more targeted in what you're doing. Yeah. And let me add something on that one. I think a lot, I think the increased competition is also forcing us as learning businesses to stop looking at what other businesses are doing. Yes, we should. We should, we should go and find out what, you know, we should do our due diligence and find out what else is going on in our industry. But at some point, let's stop, trying to emulate what those other people are doing, that other company is doing. Let's, let's create, let's cultivate who we are uh, as, you know, uh, corporate citizens, as, as, as entities, and, and let's be us before we try to go and try to be carbon copies of other organizations because it seems like it's working for them. Um, it might be working for them. It might not be working for you. So I think the fact that there's so many providers out there, it's impossible to go figure out what everybody else is doing. And it's, it's, it's really forcing us to try to be, uh, to stand out, to, to do something different, not for the sake of being different, but for the sake of being ourselves. Yeah, that puts me in mind too. Then of of you know the idea of blue ocean strategy, this idea of not being too tightly tied to to that that red ocean where there's the bloody competition, but really picking up and thinking more broadly. And you know, kind of where can you um, where can you sail where you're the the only one in those waters? So that's that's wonderful. Mm-hmm. Right on. Yeah, that's it. So you know, we talked a little bit about kind of threats with that one. So maybe more positive spin here, you know, uh, interested in what you see that's going on in learning these days that, that excites you. And maybe this is something that you're working on at, at design art seminars, or, or maybe it's a trend or, or development um, that you just see out there that excites you as a, a lifelong learner in general. All right. So Yes, I am a lifelong learner. So every time I see something, uh, I want to learn about it. And you put me in front of a course catalog, I want to sign up for the whole thing. So <laughs> that's part of my problem. But in terms of what excites me in 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 what's going on right now, so I'm going to say something that most people say, well, hasn't he heard? But I'm going to say virtual reality is one of those things at the top of my list. Uh, I know everybody's saying that he's going to go to augmented reality, and I, and I see that. I, I do see that, unfortunately. But I, I love... I love the potential of being fully immersed in an environment. I think there is such uh, value in that. It may not be mainstream adoption, and I don't know if it will ever get there, but I can tell you I've got this Oculus Quest uh, VR headset. I can meditate. I can uh, do um, boxing classes, dancing classes. God knows I need all the help I can get on this one. Um, and, and also I can do more serious things. I can do empathy training. I can do, uh, as someone who has suffered from anxiety and depression my entire life, I can do things in there that fully 
immerse me in an environment that brings me back to where I need to be rather than where I was. And you can't do that with augmented reality. Um, you can only do that when you're fully immersed in an environment. Um, and you can do that in an actual environment, um, but, but it's harder to do uh, on the go. So love the virtual reality um, potential, but more pragmatically, potentially. Other things that get me very excited are um, the digital badges. So I know we've heard about this for four years, and I'm, I'm sad to say we haven't yet managed a way to make it work. I haven't yet found a solution, but that's something I haven't given up on. And actually part of that change by design series, I'm hoping we can finally have a digital badge that's actually a digital badge, not just a, a picture we give people to post on their own uh, LinkedIn profile, an actual digital badge where they can show their clients that they are committed to change, to being change ambassadors, to being change makers. So I think if we could get that, um, it, it, if we could get that to work in a way where it's within reach of every organization, of every size, and it's easy to implement, I've tried as a learner, I've purposely enrolled in a program where they issue digital badges, I'm yet to find out how I'm supposed to put the thing on my LinkedIn profile. Mm. So, and I'm pretty tech savvy. So that was problematic for me, but digital badging, nonetheless, I see a lot of opportunities there. Blockchain, uh, to me, I think there is a lot of potential because I do believe we need to give learners back uh, ownership over their learning. And I'm not seeing that happen. I'm still seeing what has happened even with us, what learning you do with us stays with us, meaning you can go transfer that to another provider of continuing education if you decide that we no longer are a fit for you. Uh, that record stays with us and we'll gladly share it with you, but it's, we should not be the custodian of that. Um, and when I went back to school a few years ago, um, having studied in France before the internet, uh, it was very hard to get my records. I actually never managed to get them. They basically told me, why? <laughs> why, do you, why do you need them? We're going to have to go back in the attic. And, you know, <laughs> so it, it, I, I can see value even for younger people who, who haven't, um, who don't have the same problem I had where that blockchain could help with that. So blockchain, the digital badges, the virtual reality, I think uh, are very exciting um, to me and any competency-based type uh, training and workflow training, obviously. Mm. Well, great. And so this is the Leading Learning Podcast, so I can't help but uh, ask a perhaps obvious question, but one that I think is no less important, um, even if it is obvious, and that is, you know, what do you think it takes to to lead learning? What skills or knowledge or abilities or, or luck do you see as critical to leading learning in today's world? I, I think... At least in my experience, it's been developing the skill to ask better questions of the people we work with and the people we, 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 we serve. Uh, that's actually a very difficult skill, at least in my experience. You know, ask, ask, ask better questions, uh, be better listeners. So I think that those are very valuable. Uh, leading by, by example, being willing to, to fail being willing to be humble or being transparent, at least, if nothing else. Uh, I think uh, for a lot of leaders, there is an expectation that we should have all the answers. And I think it creates this cycle, which I'm trying to break. Even we have a very small team, it's just four of us. But uh, I don't want people I work with to come to me for each and every answer. That's, that's not the way I see my job. I see my job as 
putting us on the path to where we want to go, communicating that vision, making sure everybody is on board, uh, adjusting accordingly, taking in a lot of uh, ideas and advice and uh, listening to what's being shared. But after that, letting people do what they do best, uh, what I've hired them to do, letting them do that, be there to guide and advise if uh, if asked. But um, once again, just be there more to support the work they do not not be the uh, top-down type uh, approach where I tell them what to do, they go do it and come back to me for the next step. That to me is not not very inspiring. Um, so I think it's, um, it's about modeling expectations, you know, asking questions, better questions, uh, and something I'm working on, which is talk less and uh, listen more. <laughs> I'm, I'm really bad at this last one. So, yeah. Well, I hear in your answer there, it reminds me of the the whole sort of shift from transactional to transformational. It sounds like even um, in terms of how you lead, trying to move away from anything that can feel transactional, you know, someone coming to you to say, how should I do this? And then you answer and becoming more of that, that transformational end where everyone, you know, once you've sort of set the direction, everyone really does have what they need then to to take appropriate action and doesn't need to come for the little tiny transactions and, and, and the conversations and the questions then can get much bigger and much more significant in what's being discussed. Absolutely. And, and as it relates to adults and adult learning, I mean, we all know this, you know, autonomy, mastery, all those things, purpose, all those things are, are baked into how adults learn. And it's something I've been trying to instill in how we, that's also how we work, right? I mean, I don't, I don't, I don't. I can't speak for everyone, but I do believe most adults want to feel like what they do matters. They know why it matters. They have the autonomy to do the job, and they can get the support and the training they need and the tools they need to do the best job they know how. And after that, if you've hired those people and you don't trust them to do that, then you've hired the wrong people. But then that becomes a different conversation. Mm. So we'll start to wind down, and I'm going to ask you the Next to last question, which is one that we ask everyone who comes on, and it focuses on your own personal learning. And the question is, what's one of the most powerful learning experiences you've been involved in as an adult since finishing your formal education? So I've been um, I've been very lucky. There are a lot of them, but uh, the most recent one, as I mentioned earlier, I'm a big fan of virtual reality. So I'm going <laughs> to go back to that again. When you first put that Oculus Quest headset on, you'll you'll walk through that training on how to operate in in virtual reality. And I don't know if you've gone through this, but it's very intuitive. It's 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 amazing how quickly the brain adapts to grabbing objects to throwing objects uh, in virtual environment to manipulating things it's 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 guided but very gently you get the level of support you need but only if you need it they let you struggle with it long enough that you don't get frustrated but if you get frustrated then an additional prompt comes in to to guide you on how to do that so to me that was one of the most intuitive elegant, simple, playful, whimsical way of introducing my brain to an entirely new dimension and new way of doing things. And, um, and I must say, uh, as, as a um, test, we put my, my mother and father-in-law uh, in the headset, they are 84 and 85, and, um, and they had a similar experience in terms of, of quickly adapting. So I think to me that was a very um, 
yeah, it was that's how learning should happen, right? You mm. you're, you're left to struggle a little bit, but you get the right support at the right time, and it should be the struggle should be enjoyable, <laughs> if that makes sense. So, so yeah, I, I would go with that one, but there are many others. Yeah, no, that's great. No, and unfortunately, I have not yet had a chance to spend much time with a an Oculus. And but yes, it sounds fascinating, and I think exactly your commentary on it makes so much sense. It's this idea of of scaffolding it, but also letting people um, learn through experiential means, right? That you get to try it first and then only if you need the support, then you get it. So that makes uh, a, a wonderful example there. And so final question is just if listeners want to learn more about design art seminars or connect with you, where should they go? Well, my father decided to be very creative with my first name. So I am yet to come across someone else with the same name. So if you put my first name and last name in, in, in Google or LinkedIn, you'll find me. It's M-I-C-E-N-E, last name Fontaine, F-O-N-T-A-I-N-E. So if you put me Saint Fontaine in LinkedIn or Google, uh, for good or bad, whatever pops up is probably about me. So you'll find me there. And I'm happy to connect on LinkedIn and answer any questions uh, or questions. Or connect with anyone who might be interested in in uh, discussing any of what we talked about any further. Well, thanks so much for your time today, Misen. I really enjoyed the conversation. It was my pleasure, Elisa. I love the podcast. It was a great honor to be on. That concludes the interview with Misen Fontaine. To get show notes, go to leadinglearning.com slash episode 247. And the show notes will include the reflection questions. Where do you want your learning business to be on the transactional to transformational continuum? What actions can you take to make sure your portfolio of offerings matches where you want to be? When you check out the show notes, you'll see various options for subscribing to the podcast. And if you're getting value out of what you hear, Jeff and I would be grateful if you would subscribe as it helps us to get some data on the impact of what we're doing. And we'd be grateful if you take just a minute to give us a rating on Apple Podcast. Just go to leadinglearning.com slash Apple. That'll put you in the right place. And Salisa and I personally appreciate your rating and review. But more importantly, those reviews and ratings help the podcast show up when people search for content on leading a learning business. Please follow us on social media and spread the word about leading learning. You can find us on Twitter by going to leadinglearning.com slash Twitter, on Facebook, at leadinglearning.com slash Facebook and on LinkedIn at leadinglearning.com slash LinkedIn. We also encourage you to use the hashtag leading learning on each of those channels. Please help spread the word about leading learning. Thanks again. And we'll see you next time on the leading learning podcast.